looking it up. Okay? All right. Well, that said, um, anything you learned this weekend? Things that are... Anything new? <laughs> you know, as I looked around, it's like, you guys are the people. There is a survivor that says, you know, come ice and high water. Uh, so I, you guys are just awesome. I'll be checked first. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I actually, about, about 8 o'clock, I started to send a, an email to Stacey. said, maybe we need to cancel. And I almost hit send, and I kept... And the weather just kind of kept moderating, so I held off and held off. And I thought, if I need to send it, I'll send it at 7 a.m. But by, by the time I went to bed, I thought, I think we're going to be okay. So that's awesome. Yeah, so it was just done for this class. Absolutely. Yeah, that's how it works. Okay, anything else you heard this weekend? Well, we had Elder Perry. Yeah, and she I did. Steak this weekend. And one thing he said that I thought was interesting. He said, we may hear around with local organizations that people are saying that we're not Christians. But he works with the heads of other churches, and he says, believe me, they know we are. I don't know why they don't pass it on down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice if they did. Yeah. There That's true. People join. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing the uh, the myths that are perpetuated among all of that. Um, now, one thing that I will mention, something that the church has just done, um, that we are at, at the moment we're kind of in a uh, we're battling something that uh, one scholar has called shaken faith syndrome, and that is again and we've talked about it repeatedly. People get online and they start reading what's being said against the church, and then they start doubting their own faith. And some of that has to do with our history. Uh, a lot of it has to do with our history. Um, and, and the church is now starting to go through and produce uh, their own set of answers to those things. So one of the questions that I just saw posted that they've done a good write-up on is, uh, there, are four or five, there are four full versions and a couple of part versions of the first vision. And that's always being said, well, Joseph changed the story over time. And the church is going through and explaining why he why the different versions are there based on the audiences that he was speaking to, based on the fact that the first time that he told everybody what happened, you know, as a 14-year-old boy, you know, he got beat up for it. So there was a reason why he wasn't always real forthcoming with all the details. But that is one of the, the attacks that I was here against the church. Well, it's nice that the church is beginning, and I'm going to start probably in January. I, I may go through and post some of the ones that the church is producing so that you can see very quickly, which will be helpful to you as a mother or as a uh, leader or youth leader, whoever, who is kind of being uh, hit with questions that you don't have answers for. Now you can be able to go to the church website, not just the FAIR website, which is a great place to go. Uh, FAIR.org uh, is a good place to kind of get some of those answers. 
But uh, you need to be able to have answers. Rather than, it's not important to your salvation, don't worry about it. That's kind of the kiss of death. Because that says we're hiding something. Okay? The air conditioner just kick in? Yes. <laughs> it's a little weird. Alright, yeah, if you can hit it on the other side. Does it really? <laughs> okay. It just thinks it's supposed to. My building still thinks it's summer, by the way. I have the air conditioning coming out of my ceiling and my heater running by here. So. Um, also, uh, one thing I may point out to you, I had a thought that uh, hit me during our sacrament meeting uh, yesterday. So I was watching the sacrament and I realized the very first sacrament uh, that the Savior did at the Last Supper was really a Passover Savior. It was a Passover meal. And I thought, what would happen if when we're watching the sacrament going on this one right here, if we're watching the sacrament and we think of it as a Passover, would that help? What's being passed over? This angel of death. Yeah, the angel of death is passing over us. And, and also, and, there, and, and part of the Passover Seder is a recognized recognition that by miracle and the strong hand, they were brought out of Egypt and out of bondage. Well, what happens for us in the sacrament? We're being we're passed over, and in, in result of that, by a miraculous, beyond our ability to do it, we are then brought out of bondage, out of sin, and brought to the promised land. Okay. So, to me, the Passover Seder is a perfect thing. And then the other thing I would tie into that when we're looking at what we're studying right now. Here comes Thanksgiving. Isn't it interesting that when it comes to the, the moments that the Lord wanted the Israelites to remember in perpetuity, He always designated that they would then hold a feast. It's the feast of Passover, the feast of Sukkot, uh, the, the shelters, uh, the, the feast of Yom Kippur, the high holidays. Okay? It was always a feast. It was a celebration. And ultimately, we're waiting for in the in the uh, Adam on Diamond as part of the the festivities, if you will, of the second coming. One of them, one of those, will be a feast. It is the it is the it is the uh, uh, the bridegroom's dinner, if you will, held there, and everybody that's going to be invited and as part of celebration, it will be a feast. It will be a celebration. So, I guess we'll, we will do that. This Thursday and hold a feast, so we keep that in mind. So. Does, that, does that sort of make sense? Okay. That said, then, anything else then before we move on? All right, we got some good stuff. Um, I found a video that I thought. Oh, go ahead. Okay, the Carrollton uh, steak is still having. Um, nativities. I know some of the other stakes are not Carrollton on this, so if you're interested in it, it's in two weekends, and here's some invites for it. It was the Carrollton crash. Oh, Carrollton. And here's some invitations for it, and I'm sorry, I didn't realize I spoke softly. You do. I've never been accused of that, really. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, the, and the Allen crash is the week after Thanksgiving. Yeah, ours right. is, we're setting up, the, um, okay, so, well, Thanksgiving is when we start setting up, and it's the week after. 
Okay. So is Alan the same weekend as, or is it uh, the same time as ours? Next, next weekend. Next weekend? No. It's already set? Yours is, yours is this coming weekend. No, we're setting up this coming weekend, and we're doing it the weekend. You can do it, oh, so, so it is the same, same weekend. Same weekend. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Come visit. All right. So here is the... Best thing I can find to describe the children of Israel. Egypt from Israel from Egypt or removing Egypt from Israel? Why? Why was that so difficult? That's what they knew. Why? The same reason it's hard for us to break bad habits. Why is it hard for us to remove the, we live in Egypt, right? This ain't our home. Why is it so hard for us to remove the Egypt from us? What's what we grew up with? What's that? It's what we grow up with. It's what we grow up with. What, what else? We're comfortable with it. Yeah. It's comfortable. We know it. We surround ourselves by it. Yeah. We're constantly bombarded by it. We are surrounded by it. it. It hits us on all sides. Okay? We like lots of We like a lot of Egypt. Yeah, there is some good stuff in Egypt. Yeah. We don't recognize that it's Egypt. Yeah. Uh, we're so we're so numb to the fact that this is Egypt that we just kind of absorb it. I think that that's probably a really good point. That we just kind of get we're blind to the fact. I mean, I don't know that our kids necessarily on a Saturday morning sit and watch TV and go, "I want Egypt," but <laughs> but it's there. Okay. So why, if we're recognizing, if we get it. What does it take to get Egypt out of us? What is this thing that when when a a child is uh, taken and held captive that they don't want to live? Oh, he's talking about the Stockholm Syndrome. That that when somebody is captured that they begin to identify with the captors and, and their thing. 
Well, you know, that's a pretty good parallel, actually. Yes. I should, I should call that the Egypt syndrome. <laughs> We're kind of grabbed captive, and then we begin to identify with the captor. There's a book in there somewhere. <laughs> My brain is just going, oh, the Egypt syndrome would be perfect. Okay. And, but wouldn't that make sense? Again, if we're saying we have the Savior, the atonement, uh, there are, look at all the miracles that it took to get Israel out of Egypt. Man, he does great things. Why wouldn't I rely on him? And then we're going to watch the three steps that occur, I think, on our way kind of loathing him. Yeah. In order to break an addiction to get out of Egypt, we've got to learn to push the comfort of our own surroundings. We, we, we get into a rut. And that's why alcoholics have a 12-step program or so. Yeah. Isn't it fascinating, though, for, and we're about to see it with, the, with these children of Israel. It's like uh, we were in bondage. We were being beaten. Uh, we were trying to make bricks without straw. We had no freedom. And we miss it. <laughs> we like it. You know, and we're upset when we're out of the wilderness and we want to go back. There, the, Egypt was a known quantity. Okay? We may not have liked everything about Egypt, but we got up every morning knowing what to expect. In the wilderness, we don't know what is coming. I think that's a great point, Kimberly. And, and when we're trying to make this change, we're trying to remove Egypt from ourselves, we don't know what's ahead of us, do we? It's like it's a brand new world. Yeah. In the short run, Egypt is easier. You know, in our case. Oh, Egypt was easier. One of the nice things about Egypt is I'm not responsible. It's up to the Pharaoh, it's up to the taskmasters. You know, if I screw up, it's because they gave me the wrong instructions. If I'm in the wilderness and I screw up, it's all, it's all on me. So you're right, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. It goes back to your choices. The government will take care of me. Sure will. Or I can take personal responsibility. But then i got to be responsible, and I'm not sure I want to do that. I have to make decisions and choices. But, but then it's deeper than that. Because, you know, we can be responsible and still live in Egypt. We can make those choices and still live in Egypt. But we have to, you know, as Mosiah 3.19 says, we have to put off the natural man, yield to the enticement of the spirit. Yeah. And all the other things that are in that verse, I think, is key here. And that's the battle, because we have to put it off. And that's really kind of, that's the parallel that I'm thinking of. This is the natural man. This is Mosiah 3.19 that says we're going to have to put off Egypt and it doesn't just roll off on its own. Last time I checked, if there's any film or anything that might suggest this, Satan doesn't leave willingly. <laughs> you have to kick him out kicking and screaming. He just doesn't want to let go of us. Because that's when he slowly wraps us in flax and cords and he goes... I, I want to be here, and we're going to have to cast this off. You literally have to cast off Egypt. And we're going to watch, watch, what, watch what the Israelites do to go through this process. Okay? Now, because there's a, there's a three-step process in these. Uh, we're, we're going to look today in Numbers 
uh, 1 through about 21. And I want you to watch three steps before there's finally a repentance moment at the end. But uh, there is a cankering effect. There's a long term, it's like a cancer that grows. Uh, We're going to find that step one, we may be grateful when we receive God's help because it's a rescue. We're in a tough place and at first we're glad that God came in and rescued us. Okay, that's step one. Step two, second, by taking for granted God's help, we start lusting after other things. We want things we don't have or can't have. And we start to place our heart on the things that we can't have or we've not had. We, you know, we'd like, well, I'll, I'll get into some parallels on that. So that's step two. So first we're grateful. Then we begin to lust. And then step three. Then, then we start having actual loathing and hatred towards God and His prophets. That's when we actually rebel. If you'll watch... Uh, through the Book of Mormon, we're going to see a fun parallel in just a second with the Book of Mormon. Uh, you'll watch this step. But first we're grateful, then we are still grateful, but we're lusting after more, and then finally we, ha- we have hatred towards uh, what we will receive. Okay? Alright, that's it. So, let's start off. Step one, grateful for the help. This is the one we've been looking at. Uh, when we talked about uh, the people rested. Uh, the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. What is it? And it was like coriander seed white. Taste of it is like wafers made with honey. Isn't this great? He's given us stuff to eat and it's like a honey flavored wafer. And the best thing is, it's much better than unleavened bread. You know, that unleavened bread was like, oh man, and we're on, we're, you know, we're doing it on the road, and it's quick, and so this was better. And not only that, we just have to walk out of our tent in the morning, and there it is. Just go out and collect it. And the children of Israel did, did eat manna for... That's a long time, right? You know, uh, there are certain things I, I love. I love uh, Cajun uh, crawfish etouffee. Love me some etouffee. If I had to eat it though every day, morning, noon, and night for forty years, there is a good chance I would quit liking etouffee. And that's kind of what happened here. That's kind of the challenge. Okay, now, but that is step one. Now here comes step two. So I want you to turn to uh, Numbers 11. Ah, here we go. And, And when the people complained, verse one, it displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it and His anger was kindled. Now, I want you to... Verse 4. And while the mixed multitude was among them, fell a lusting. Now, I have a hard time not reading these sections 
in kind of a, you know, a, a 14-year-old, tired and sleepy, kind of like a kid at scout camp and he's really tired kind of thing. Okay? The mixed multitude was among them. They fell lusting. And the children of Israel wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? And then listen to them. And tell me, it's like what you're about to see. I promise you have seen this in your families. I absolutely promise. And it's going to sound so familiar to you. Both on their part and on Moses' part. You're just going to go, oh, this is perfect for family home evening because this is us. Okay? Listen, look at verse 5. We remember the fish. Oh, remember the fish. Yeah, you can see them sitting around while they're eating their mammoth. You remember the fish? Oh, yeah. I remember the fish. <laughs> Which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers. Oh, yeah, we love the cucumbers. And the melons. Oh, I miss the melons. Oh, yeah, and the leeks. And you remember the onions? Oh, the onions, yeah. Pass, pass me the banner. Oh. <laughs> and the garlic. Oh, I love garlic. What I would I'd kill for some garlic right now. <laughs> the arrow. Oh, the melons, the lakes, the onions, the garlic. And then, and then here comes the teenageness. Starts to kick in. But our soul is dried away. <laughs> it's just drying away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. You ever had this conversation like you're like driving to Utah or something like that, about halfway across New Mexico? I'm sick of the car. I'm sick of each other. I remember those days we could actually get up and walk around. <laughs> now, I do understand the manna was like coriander seed, the color of it. The people went about and gathered it and ground it into mills and beat it into mortar. <laughs> and mortar. I don't know if it's mortar-like. <laughs> yeah, mortar. <laughs> we know mortar really well. We did that one in Egypt. Make it into mortar. <sighs> um, baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of fresh oil. And the dew fell upon the camp. The manna fell. It's just like we're surrounded by manna. But now they're going to start lusting. Yeah. Oh, beat it in a mortar. A mortar is kind of... Oh, like... Mortar and pestle. Oh, beat it in a mortar. Thank you. Uh, were they building houses out of the... Uh... <laughs> okay, beat it in a mortar. Okay, and you can almost see it with, like, with a little pestle. All right, eat this man. <laughs> Okay, and the dew fell upon the camp. Now, you're about to see there are two problems here going on in the camp. Number one, we have Israel who's lusting after fish, fish and leeks and onions, anything but mammon. Now, by the way, I do like, here's a quote from Neil A. Maxwell. Speaking of the Book of Mormon, there was murmuring too because Nephi broke his steel bow and couldn't build a ship, but because he was seen trying to rule over us. 
Those same murmurs, however, soon surfeited themselves on the meat brought back by Nephi's new bow. And they sailed to the ship that Nephi built. How handy inspired but imperfect leaders in the church are as focal points for our frustration. <laughs> Isn't that a great thing we can have church leaders to, to whine to and whine about and murmur about because they're not doing it the way we would do it? Do you want to be bishop? No, 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 no. I just want to complain about it. <laughs> okay. But Moses is Moses is human. He's hearing this. He's hearing this. He's hearing this. And th at this point, Moses has had enough. Enough. And it starts to get to him. Now, moms, this ought to just jump right out at you. Moses was displeased. And Moses said, you got to hear this boy. Don't just read this cold. you got to hear Moses. And Mo, verse 11, Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant with Israel? They're driving me nuts. Wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight? Don't you like me? Haven't I done everything I was supposed to? Why are you afflicting me with these guys? Thou hast laid the burden of all these people upon me. Have I conceived all these people? In other words, he's saying, they're not my kids. I didn't conceive them. They're your kids, not my kids. Have I conceived all these people? Have I begotten them? Uh, that thou sayest unto me, carry them in thy bosom. You know, they're, they're your kids. You're telling me i got to carry them. Uh, 13, when shall I have flesh to give unto these people? i got a million people that want me. How am I supposed to come up with all this? Okay. Uh, how do I give flesh unto these people? They weep unto me saying, give us flesh that we may eat. 14, I am not able to bear all this people alone. It's too heavy for me. And then the line that I think uh, resonate with moms everywhere. Read verse 15. If thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. Just kill me now. Lord, if you love me, help me die. Now, they're driving me insane. Just kill me, please. Yes, now Moses is on the complaining bandwagon here. It's like... I thought you loved me. I've got all these people. They want me. They're not my kids. They're your kids. But I got stuck with them. Just kill me now. You know. <laughs> Let somebody else take over. Okay. Um, I started laughing when I, when I saw this. Oh my gosh. It's so perfect. Okay. Now. So the Lord has two problems here. He's got a, a prophet who is cracking under the strain. Uh, you know, I have to believe almost, you can almost hear Moses saying this to the people who are going, we want meat. And he's going, just kill me, will you? The Lord's not taking care of it. I've had enough. Okay? So the Lord's got two problems. He's got a prophet that's cracking into the strain. He's got people that just keep murmuring. And the ingratitude is growing. Now watch how he, he has a unique way to solve each one of these problems. Okay? Now... 
Number one. What would be the best way to help Moses? Delegate. Delegate. 17. The Lord says, well, 16. Gather me 70 men of the Israel's elders of Israel. So he's going to gather the 70. Here come the general authorities. 17. I will come down and talk with thee there. I will take of the spirit which is upon thee and I will put it upon them that they shall bear the burden of the people with thee. Thou shalt not bear it thyself alone. Um, kind of interesting, in, uh, in our war, uh, my son has been called as the uh, elder storm president. And uh, recently, his, the one counselor moved, uh, the other one, because of some family things, needed to be released. And so we needed to call new counselors. And as the high councilman over the ward, then I was involved in kind of helping get the counselors, get them approved, go through the whole thing. But while I'm going through the process of chasing down the state presidency, making sure these guys are called, is it all right? Is there another colleague? Would it be all right to release them from other colleagues so that I can get these guys called so I can actually get them set apart? My son is texting me. Do I have counselors yet? <laughs> I, yeah, I know. He needs to get us a secretary too. But right now, it's just like, I'm a lone man, just letting you know. I don't want to do this all by myself. So I get him called. And, okay, we're setting them apart today? Yes, we will set them apart. It'd be good, good. Get into Elder's Court meeting. We're turning time over to Brother Hinkley from the High Council. Good, so I get some help here. Okay, I get it. I think that's a, there's a natural tendency to say, when we're carrying the burden of a lot, it's helpful uh, to know that you are surrounded by good people, that you were able to delegate that out. Uh, only the foolish would try and do it alone. How long did he do it alone, though? That's a good question. Because even his father-in-law had already told him, delegate. Yeah. And sometimes he would do it to, well, and sometimes he would do it not so well. Okay? Um, now, fascinating... Fascinating thing that comes out of this. 24, Moses went out, told the people, gathered the 70 men. Men, the Lord comes down in the cloud. He took of the 70. They, he gives them the spirit. The spirit rested upon them. They prophesied and did not cease. There were two in the camp. Everybody else is going out. 68 go out. Two st stick around. Uh, one is uh, Eldad and the other one is Midad. And the Spirit rested upon them. They were of uh, those who were written. Uh, they prophesied in the camp. So they were filled with the Spirit and they started to prophesy. Now it's interesting, 20, 28, Joshua, son of Nun, he had no parents. But <laughs> <laughs> one of those miracle things. Joshua, servant of Moses, and, and in line to be uh, the next prophet, basically. It's going to land to Joshua. Uh, my Lord, Moses, forgive, forbid these guys from prophesying. You're the prophet. They're out there prophesying. And what's Moses' response? 29. 
And Moses said unto them, Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets. Why? That they would know the Lord. Sure. Are, are we all prophets? Yes. Why? Anybody prophesies that Christ is a prophet. Why? God said that I believe that sells it. Well, the Spirit resides in us. Right. And the Lord can bless others with us. So that's part of being a prophet. Why is it, but why is that not just the Spirit of... Why not just the Spirit? Why would we call that prophecy? Why would that make us a prophet? What does a prophet do? Receives revelation. About the future. Okay, so why would that make us a prophet? We're entitled to that too, for ourselves. For the future? I don't know. Well, we kind of are prophesying about the future because we are telling people you need to repent so that you can pre be prepared for this future state. There you Not go. Not necessarily the future on earth, specifically like this is going to happen to you, but in the future, we will return to be with Heavenly Father and we can live with Him again and we have to do certain things and these are the things that we need to do to be able to have there this happen go. in the future. And those are all future-based things, right? They're all talking about things that are going to happen that have not yet happened. That takes prophecy and it takes the spirit of prophecy. For us to teach a class and say to somebody, if you will do such and such, we're talking about a... There's a resurrection coming. We're talking about your family. For us to be able to say to somebody, your family to, can be together forever. What is that? That's a prophecy of what is going to happen down the road. Right? That's why it is that Joseph says, No man is a minister of Jesus Christ without being a prophet. No man or woman can be a minister of Jesus Christ except he has the testimony of Jesus, and this is the spirit of prophecy. Which means to have a testimony of the Savior is to be a prophet. Isn't that great? <coughs> you may not have the office of the prophet, of the first presidency. There's a difference between prophecy and revelator. Yes. But he says, all of us, Joseph said to, to uh, the saints, there is... Uh, Every saint can know the things that Joseph knows. There's nothing that's been revealed to me that cannot be revealed to you if you'll just put yourself in a place of here. somebody, you can gain your own testimony of the church. We're basically saying that you can, you can know for yourself the future. Where you will be, where your family will be, what's coming, what will happen towards the end of the, this earth. That's, a, that's being a prophet. And not only can we, we must. And we must know that. In fact, it's that spirit that will then pull us through. Okay? Isn't that cool? So, so there's a wonderful principle, 
principle being taught to Moses, and he's trying to teach it to everybody else and says, everybody should get to know what Moses knows. We talked last week about that part of Moses' big disappointment was the fact that Israel wasn't ready to know what Moses knew, and that the Lord had to withdraw the, the high priesthood, and that's, gonna, that's a, gonna, a problem that's about to show up, that Moses would hold on to the Melchizedek priesthood, but the, the, the Levites would have to just stay with the Aaronic priesthood. Because they weren't ready to accept the greater knowledge. Okay? Alright. So that solves problem one, right? We get Moses to a good place. We still have a problem with the children of Israel. The whiny bunch. Now, how the Lord chooses to fix this is, is a puzzlement to me. I don't have a lot of answers other than just what's here. Okay? So I will admit that there's part of this that I am a bit... Because I, I kept trying to say, so how does this apply? And I'm not sure whether it does or not. You guys can, can work on this. But here's, here's the Lord's response. <laughs> oh, man. 18. And thou shalt say unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against the morrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? It was well with us in Egypt. Then look at 19. Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, but twenty days. Nor twenty days, twenty. But even a whole month until it comes out your nostrils. <laughs> Whoever said the Bible was boring? <laughs> Can you see that? Again, picture a mom. I'm not going to have you eat a little bit of potatoes. I'm going to have you eat a lot of potatoes until it comes out your nose. <laughs> okay. And it be loathsome unto you because we have despised what the Lord is among you. Okay? Um, that's just... I remember when, when uh, my, my eldest quorum son was little and he, he'd learned how to spit. <laughs> and he started to spit. And I remember, Cindy, you took him out there and said, okay, let's spit and keep spitting. And spit and spit and spit and spit and spit and spit, and spit until you're sick of spitting. And he kind of quit spitting. Some spitting wasn't quite so fun. Well, look at this one. You're not going to eat it uh, one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out your nostrils. My friends, my, my friend started smoking. Yeah, smoking is, yeah. And his mother made him smoke two packs, one right after the other. He never touched them again. He was 12. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that satiation thing... Okay, so, so here's what's going to happen on this, and then, then let, let's, let's talk. Okay? Um, so, here comes a wind from the Lord. Remember that the wind is often synonymous with the Spirit. Okay, the rushing mighty wind. Brought quails from the sea. Let them fall into the camp. So they were two cubits high. Picture so many quails that it's about two feet everywhere you look. You are, you think you, you've seen snowstorms? This is a quail storm. You can't go anywhere without quail. Two feet deep. 
Everywhere. Okay? Then, look at 33. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, they're, in half, they're, they're like half bite. <coughs> then they're hit by a plague. And many of them died. Many was the bird flu. Thank you very much. <laughs> Couldn't help yourself, could you? I know. Okay, now. This is a curiosity to me, because I'm not sure exactly how to explain. Can you think of any other time that the Lord says, I'm, I'm going to teach you something by giving you exactly what you want, in excess, to the point that you... It drives you nuts to the point that you might even die. I kept thinking there has to be an application here. I'm not, I haven't seen it yet. Can you pray for patience? <laughs> we pray for patience and then we're given... You know, that might, that might fit. Okay? It's like, you got to remember that their mentality that was out of town. It's the way you had to teach children. Yeah. Yeah. I, but tried as I might, I kept thinking this may be a unique moment because I just couldn't think. The Lord? <laughs> Here, here's the part that I do wonder, and it's my own speculation. We have found that sometimes this isn't translated right. And that sometimes when, like, like it says that that the Lord uh, caused Pharaoh to harden his heart. And it turned out that Pharaoh decided to harden his heart and the Lord didn't do it. This says the Lord did this. I wonder if Moses did this. Is my own... Yep. Now I can see Moses going, give them so many quail it comes out their nose. <laughs> I can see that as a possibility. How, after Halloween, we're just going to put you... Didn't we? You get what you want and let's see what And we have done that. Put the kids in the bathtub. You eat until you throw up and then you're not going to want any more oh. after this. Yeah. yeah, but it could be also that they were so anxious to have something other than manna. Isn't it a quail is a bird, a bird is like a chicken. You can get, what, salmonella? You don't cook chicken completely. You think they're just eating it raw? Munching it down? Could be. Okay. Uh, it, it could be. It could also be that, you know, they've been eating manna so long. Their body doesn't know Do you think their stomach was kind of in starvation mode? Kind of thing? Could be. Well, I have a problem with this for another reason, and that is all of us in here would get tired of eating manna. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not a natural thing for a human being to be able to eat the same thing over and over and over and over and over again without having some problems. Isn't it interesting, when, when we go to sacrament meeting, don't we hear exactly the same stuff week after week after week after week? How often do we hear anything new in general conference? My guess is here comes the, the next general conference will come, and I'll bet there'll be a talk on repentance, and I'll bet there'll be one on tithing, and I'll bet there will be one on... It's like the same thing over and over and over. Here we go, gratitude talk. Yeah. And that's exactly what these people were. They weren't grateful for what they were receiving for all these years they were being provided for. And then when they forget to be grateful, then, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that, that's the part that, if, if I were going to guess, I would say probably if, if, they, if you translated this correctly, it might turn out that the Lord supplied it, but it turned out that they were, and, and there, there are some interesting terms that are used in the Scriptures. Uh, look at uh, James where, 2 through 4. Uh, there it is. Didn't mark it. Yeah. That's better. James 4. Uh, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war. Ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may do something interesting. That you may consume it upon your lusts. I don't think the Lord had to set this up in such a way He just knew they would do it. Because when we lust after something and we finally get it, we have a tendency to consume it upon our lust too much. Could it be similar to the Zion's camp process? Weeding out. Yes. Who couldn't, who couldn't do that? Okay. It could very well be. Wasn't there a prayer that Joseph offered at the table one time where he expressed gratitude for what they had, but yeah. said, but Lord, it sure would be nice to have some meat. Lord, we are grateful for this Johnny. This is far west. Lord, we're grateful for this Johnny cake. Please bring us something more. And a knock comes at the door and a man has a turkey. So maybe he expressed gratitude first, but these people were not grateful. No, they weren't. They weren't. And it's interesting that when we lust and we finally get what we want, that we will consume it to excess. I think we see that sometimes with teenagers. I've seen that a number of times where kids just want to be rebellious and then they get to be 18 and now I'm free and I'm going to go do whatever I want and that freedom almost kills them. Could the, the lesson in the story be that they're not uh, ready for the meat? They're, they're, they can't handle the meat. I've seen people in the church that that are going after the meat, they're after the deep doctrine and stuff, and they don't have the basic things, and they end up... Oh, Trey, that's good. That, you know what, that's really good. They're being fed, they're just, they're children. They've come out of Israel, they're being fed basic bread, and what they want to do is jump ahead and get the meat. And the problem is, once they get the meat, oh, I like that a lot. That's better than what I came up with. I may have to put that one with the with the Egypt <laughs> syndrome thing. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. Oh, great Yeah, here here and in here. Um, I was just well, I like noticing that it says that the peop- it was the place where they buried the people that lusted. Not everyone died. That's right. Only, Only those the people that lusted, and so maybe they ate way more than everyone else. Maybe some people were balancing it pretty well, and some were just pigs. Obviously, there was. Father believes in natural consequences, I think. So somehow there was an opportunity for people to choose here, and some of them received a different consequence than others because of how they were choosing, possibly. I think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now it's gone. It just. Uh, well, it was kind of along the line. Okay. But it was also kind of along Trey's line. Okay. Good stuff. Okay. One last one. Kim? Really? This feels just so 
it does feel vengeful. That's why when I read stuff like this, I think we're not getting the exact translation because it doesn't match the God I know. Yeah. That's why I don't think we got this exactly uh, right. Now, l- l- let me let me quickly show you one last thing. Um, I do find it fascinating, though, as a result of this. There is the moment. Run now. There is the moment. Uh, this is actually October 1846. Most of the saints are in, have left Nauvoo. They're on their way to, they're in winter quarters. Uh, those, especially the battalion boys' families, those that went on the Mormon battalion, have left. Uh, their families are fairly destitute. Some are very poor, and they're still in, in Nauvoo. Uh, that's when we get the Battle of Mulholland Street. Uh, the the uh, old settlers come down Upper Mulholland in Nauvoo. They drive down there, a barricade set up along Mulholland. Um, uh, the temple sits kind of here, then Mulholland kind of goes right up here. And so there's a battle that takes place there. There are a couple of Mormons that are killed there. We fire off cannon to, to try and scare them off. And then we're little, then the, the remaining saints are driven across the river to the other side uh, while the saints ransack Nauvoo. Uh, they ransacked the temple, one sets fire to the temple, all within view of these poor saints sitting on the Montrose side of the Mississippi watching this go on on the other side. And they're starving. And, and Brigham does not yet know that uh, the, these families have kind of been left there. He's going to explode when he finds out they've been left behind. He's going to send people back quickly towards them. Um, Could be 1847. Couldn't think of it. <coughs> anyway, so the saints are sitting there. Then we get this story that we have heard before, and I just think it's fascinating how the Lord sets this up. Uh, I'm not going to take too long. On the 9th of October, several wagons, uh, having been sent by the 12 to fetch the poor saints away, were drawn up in a line in the riverbanks, ready to start. They'd come back from far west uh, to get them. Uh, but hark, what noise it is! See the quails descend. Of all things that the Lord would use to say, there are a lot of things He could have used. If you've been in Nauvoo, I don't see a lot of quails. I think there's, there's some out there, but this isn't necessarily what you would see. Uh, see the quails descend. They alight close by our little camp of 12 wagons. They run past the... They arise, they fly, they, uh, they run the gauntlet past each wagon. See the sick, knock them down with the sticks. The little children catch them alive with their hands. Some are cooked for breakfast. Well, my family were seated on the wagon times around having a, uh, a wash tub for a table. Behold, they come again. One descends upon our table. In the midst of the camp, we're actually sitting around the table eating our breakfast and the quail are landing where they can just... Which a little boy about eight years old catches alive with his hand. They rise again. The flocks increase in number. Seldom going seven rods from our camp, continually flying around there where the poor saints are lying in bed, thus having a direct manifestation from the Most High 
That although we are driven by men, He has not forsaken us. And that His eyes are continually over us for good. Of all the things that the Lord would give to the camp of Israel, it would be a manifestation of quail. How symbolic is that? There's a lot of things that He could have done. He could have had people show up with food. He could have given them other things. But He's going to give them symbolic quail. Why quail? You are Israel. I took care of Israel and I will take care of you. And I was, you know, thinking about the um, fact that he allowed that to happen and then I, the Lord doesn't destroy us. He allows, we destroy ourselves. Yeah. You know, I mean, if I eat too much, I have hypoglycemia. If I eat too much stuff with sugar in it, yeah. I'm going to suffer consequences. Right. But if I, you know, the wheat or the man or whatever it was, was a lot healthier for them, you know, for their bodies. Our bodies will tell us what's oh, sure. sure. We do. We do. Think about that Thursday night. <laughs> when we have consumed it upon our lust. Yeah. So, um, I know in Leviticus there are these laws that give this complete list of the foods and kind of what should be eaten, what cannot be eaten according to Moses' law. Was quail, I don't remember, was quail one of the things that they were not supposed to No, quail would be fine. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I, think, I think quail was just fine. President? Maybe he's teaching us a, a lesson that you think you want something that sounds better, but I know what's good for you, yeah. and I've been providing it. All along. All along. And, and you don't need the quail, and here's what happens. Uh, if you're not satisfied with what I'm doing for you. Yeah. I, I think so. And so it's a matter of kind of keeping our... And when we lust, we're always wanting for something we think will be better... But it turns out that we quit trusting the Lord at that point and say, I don't want what you're giving me. I want what I want. And that's, that's the battle. When we give what we want, that, that's why if you read my uh, uh, tagline on my, if you ever get an email from me, my tagline on my email is a quote from Oscar Wilde that says, when the gods hate us, they give us what we pray for. <laughs> yeah, it's just in that, that play that the Lord gave Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, now we got ooh, we got 30 minutes because there are two more steps in here that I think it's just you're watching this descent and it's all leading there towards you finally get Israel to repent. But it's going to take them a number of steps. Now, before I show you this next one, uh, I had a thought this morning and it just hit me. And so this gets to be, I try not to speculate very much, but this is fun speculation. Uh, and, it's, and it's not a doctrinal changing thing. It's just this. It's fascinating to me that in the Book of Mormon, the, what we know for sure is that times in the Book of Mormon, if somebody becomes a king, it's not unusual in Hebrew tradition, as it was in the Book of Mormon, that oftentimes kings change their name, reflective of what they're going to do. For instance, one of the beliefs among most Book of Mormon scholars is that in the early part of the Book of Mormon, you have, you have a, one group of people, the Mulekites, who are Judah. You have another group uh, under Messiah that are uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. So you've got these tribes. 
And they have to be united under one king. In the Old Testament, when you had the northern tribes of Israel united with Judah, they were united under the tribe of, under King David, who was of the tribe of Benjamin. So these two come in, in together, so Benjamin was the uniter between the tribes. So there's a belief that King Benjamin in Mosiah 1 may not have been born Benjamin, but he may have taken on the name Benjamin, uh, suggesting that he is going to unite tribes under one king. Does that make sense? Pretty good chance. That all of the kings after Nephi were named Nephi, regardless of what they were how they were born. Okay? We just so kings would take on names based on what they were going to do. The Old Testament is also, also full of that. I want you to see there is a rebellion in the camp of Israel. And it comes in 16. And, and it is now Korah, the son of Ishar, and Dathan. So it's really the, the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and they're gonna they're gonna bring verse 2, 250 princes, 250 Levites, who are gonna want more. And they're gonna charge, they're gonna charge uh, look at the charge against Moses and, and Aaron. They gathered themselves against Moses and against Aaron, and they said, You take too much upon you, seeing that all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, lift ye up yourselves among the congregation. What are they charging Moses with? The embossy. The embossy. He gets to be king, because, and, and his justification is what? What about the congregation? They're holy people too. They're just as good as you are. Why are you trying to lord over them when they are just as good as you are? I, I think the modern day translation is that you're not the boss of me. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Okay, now, do we have in the Book of Mormon a story of any rebel rousers who were very open with the fact that they thought that the, those that were in charge were trying to lord over when everybody else was just as good as they were. And it was? And? What did they say? Daddy and Robert. Keep Look at who the rabble rouser is here. I don't think that's an accident. That Korah was the rabble rouser, and it wouldn't take much in Hebrew to add one more consonant. Remember, it's about consonant. That Kor, Korah, Hor, and Korah. In other words, there's a good chance that Korah was styling himself after this story. Remember, they had the they had the brass plates, and it would and it would contain all of this stuff. Maybe he was a descendant. Maybe he was a descendant. It's possible. Probably not because that's Le is Levites. I don't think we had Levites there. But at the very least, he could have said, he could have taken on this name. I'm like Korah. I'm like Korah. So I will become Korah Hor. And I'm going to try and lead the people out of bondage of this, you know, this wicked Alma and Mosiah that are trying to lord over you. Because we're as good as they are, kind of 
Okay? Fascinating. Okay, so you got 250 princes. They're famous in the congregation. Uh, and and look, at, look at verse 4. And this is a figure of speech. And Moses heard it. He did what? Falls on his face. I don't think he fainted. Fall on his face, I think, is a term of great pain and anguish. Uh, the, the Savior fell on his face in Gethsemane. You know, it's just, it's that sense of just deep mourning and deep loss to see. Because now we have, notice what's happening here. We went from, we're grateful for what God's given us. We're lusting after other things. We still like what God gave us, but now we're lusting after other things. Now we're closer to outright rebellion. So we're going to get this whole process with, with these guys. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that one. Um, other than to say that the Joseph Smith translation gives us an idea of what, was af- what they were after. On this one, in verse 10, uh, all these were the sons of Levi. Ye seek the priesthood also. See the word priesthood is in red. That means that there's a Joseph Smith translation here. And what it says in the Joseph Smith translation was... What they wanted was the high priesthood. In other words, these were Levites with the Aaronic priesthood. What they wanted was the Melchizedek priesthood. We're as good as you are. How come we don't get to have that? Now, by the way, this this fits under the the category of somebody who would lust after being Relief Society president. Or lust after being the bishop. You don't get it. The responsibility that goes with that. Yeah. Are these the same people that have been offered it before and rejected it? Yes. Good point. That they had an opportunity at Sinai to have all of this. And they said at that point, that's too much glory for us. You talk to God. We'll hang back here. You let us know what he says. Okay? So now, so they're not wanting it for righteous purposes. Why would these guys want this? Power. So we have another name for these people if we're going to draw on the Book of Mormon analogy, and that would be these people are king men. Remember, all the battles that came all through Alma was a battle between the, the, the righteous and the king men who wanted power. And remember how it was the lower judges that wanted to work together they could, so they could take power and be in control. These are king men. So I have another word yet. Can, can we? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I respect a lot of the pain and, and true sincere hurt on a lot of sisters. And some of the things that are traditions um, that they want to have Yeah, we need to uh, probably, not today, but I think maybe when we get into January, we're going to have some places where we need to have a, I'd like to have a full discussion about that. Because I think that, that's, a, that's a big issue right now, the ordained women uh, movement. Yeah. So was it wrong that they were saying now we're ready to step up to these responsibilities? Or was it just wrong how they were saying Isn't it, it fascinating that now they're doing it, but we've just come from 11 where they say where their spirit being given out, so they're they're actually doing a lot of delegating, but I think it's for all the wrong reasons. 
Because the reason that they're, that they're attacking Him now has to do with the fact that we are as good as you are, so we're not willing to accept, which tells me it's a king, it's a king men mentality. They want to be in charge. Not so that they can bless, but so that they can be in charge. Okay? Alright. That's it. So, so we're going to finally... And then, then why don't you go ahead, you can... Uh, Read through uh, 16, how the Lord handles this one, uh, and kind of puts this down. Because in the time we have remaining, I now want to go to 21. Now, this is one that we have talked about in the past, so we're going to revisit a little bit what we talked about before. I think it was last year. Uh, but I think... One of the time, one of the things, one of the times in the scriptures that you pay attention the most is when stories keep being repeated over and over and over. Both either the Lord is doing it or prophets are quoting it, says to you how important the moment is in time. This is fact. This instance that we're about to look at is fascinating to me because it's just a very few verses, but it's repeated at least four times I can find in the Book of Mormon. And, and several times in the New Testament. It was a bigger deal than what the, uh, the uh, Old Testament makes it, resulting in, in another item being placed in the Holy of Holies as a result of this. So that, that tells you how important this moment is. Verse 4. Because here comes a... So, so remember our steps. We start off, we're grateful for what the Lord has given us. We're grateful, but now we're lusting. Now we go to rebelling. Then we go to hatred. We're, we're now on the, the final step here. They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the seed of Edom. The soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. It got to be hard. And the people spake unto God and against Moses, saying, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Now, let, let me stop. What all have they seen so far? <laughs> Miracles, Red Sea, quail, manna, speak to the rock, water comes out. They've watched over and over and over and over, and, and now they're becoming numb to the grateful things. Okay? It's like sleeping through general conference because it's just a 70 who's speaking instead of an apostle. Uh, I can't take too much. I'm going to take my nap. And I just experienced that after eating this oil. Yeah. Yeah. So they just got it. But they're still complaining. They're not, the lesson isn't, again, we're talking about how hard is it to get Egypt out of Israel. And part of it is still clinging to what we knew in the spite of everything that we've been through. Not yet. We're still kind of on the cusp of that. I'm not sure how many years we're encompassed here, but we still have most of the folks hanging around here, I think. I might, I might be wrong. Yeah. They also could have been mad about all the deaths. Maybe. Like, you look at the war, some people took that close to the continent, some people take them and curse them on. Do you think that the quail may have been sick? That's why they were so easy to catch? <laughs> it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Maybe the quail were sick. Okay. Okay, the people spake against God and against Moses. You brought us out here 
There is no bread. They're still eating manna. But there's manna. No, that's what is it. We don't want what is it. We want actual bread. Okay? There is no bread. Neither is there water. They keep getting water. And now our soul loathes this white bread. We are sick of this. We're sick of the blessings we're being given. Now we've gone from it's bothering us and we'd, we'd like, to, we'd like you know, meat to go with our manna. Now we just hate this white bread. Our souls loathe this white bread. Now, the Lord's response here to me is fascinating. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Uh, fiery, we think, if you look at the word fiery, we think it's because uh, when they were bit, it burned. Not necessarily that they were on fire. Uh, the Mayas and the Aztecs would take this and, and name it uh, after the Quetzal bird uh, because it has flaming plume, uh, the Quetzalcoatl of the, the serpent uh, god in Mesoamerica. Fiery serpents, and we know from the Book of Mormon, not only were they fiery, they were flying. Flying fiery serpents. Picture that one. You're complaining. You're in the desert. You're, now here comes flying snakes. And poison. Well, yeah, very much poisonous. Because among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now, they're all bit. They're all getting bit. This is one of those moments where there is no going back. Everybody's been bit. Wherefore the people came unto Moses. And here's the moment, finally. Um, and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord. Can you hear them? They get it. Suddenly there's a part of this that they finally get after all of these. We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord. Don't pray unto idols or anything. Pray unto the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now, the Lord's solution here to me has fascinated me for years. He really has. The Lord said unto Moses, verse 8, Take thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, he shall look it upon it and shall live. And, and Moses said, made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld a serpent of brass, he lived. Now, here's my question. And we've asked this one before. They have just come out of the land of idols. In fact... Let, let me show you the land that they came out of. Okay. Uh, on this side we have... Uh, uh, block on his name. Ra. This is the god Ra. Kind of the head god in Egypt. You can always tell Ra because a lot of times he has the face of a, of a hawk. A jackal. And he will always have this obelisk 
The sun, he's the sun god. The oblast. Now, look at what circles the sun god. The, 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 the bright oblast. Can you see it? It's the snake. So a lot of them, when they're worshipping Ra, the sun god, that snake image is obviously right there. It's big. That's why I included it uh, there. That's, that's kind of what they were, that's the land that they came from. Now, what happens when they build an, an idol of a golden calf? Why, oh why, oh why then? Would the symbol for these people who have now been bitten, there's no, there's no going back here. You've been bitten. You will either do something and live, or you, if you do nothing, you'll die. There's no going back here. There's no choices. The, chi the choice, if you choose to do nothing, is death. Because you've been bitten. Why is the choice to live dependent on them looking at a idol-like object? Maybe it's so that they can confront their own issues and sins and then repent. Okay. Now, there would have been a lot of ways to do that. But why would they use an idol, an object, as the, as the thing that would do that? Okay. It's obedience. Obedient. Well, there is obedience, but obedience could have been just come to me and repent and you're and you're forgiven. That's easy. That would be easy. But this is go look at go look at a idol well, an idol like object. See that's it would seem to fly in the face of everything they've just been taught, they doesn't it? For doing that before. They have been punished for doing that before. Yeah. Look at it. Let's, let's turn to 1 Nephi 17. If you have, if, if in your scriptures, you should cross reference this one. Because when it comes to doing this, there are, there are three classes of people in Israel. Remember, they've all been fit. Now, here's the classes. Which one are you going to follow? 41. The Lord did strengthen them in the wilderness with His rod. For they hardened their hearts even as you have. And the Lord strengthened them because of their iniquity. He sent fiery flying serpents among them. And after they were bitten, He prepared a way for them to be healed. And it required them to look at a snake. Now... I will stop for just a second. Um, anybody, any uh, nurses or doctors? Okay. What is the symbol for the medical community? Snakes. The caduceus. Okay. It's the, it's the intertwining snakes on a pole. Okay. Why two snakes? One is life. The other one is death. Okay. That, and so when it comes to this, it's a life and death kind of thing. Okay, and you have to look to that to live. And okay, that, that's some really deep roots here. Okay. They were bitten. He prepared a way that they might be healed. 
and the labor that they had to perform was to look. Isn't that great? And because of the simpleness of the way or the easiness of it, there were many that perished. Now, Alma's going to throw in his two cents on this. Uh, look at verse 20, Alma 33. Few understood the meaning of these things, and this because of the hardness of their hearts. There were many who were so hardened that they would not look. Therefore they perished. Now the reason that they would not look is why? They did not believe that it would heal them. Okay? So, we're going to go back here. Think about these children of Israel. You've got three classes of people. Number one, these are the ones who believed in Moses and looked. Number two, we have those who didn't believe in Moses, but looked anyway, just in case. And they were healed too. And they were healed too, because he, he didn't say, well, you don't have to believe or not. He just said, just look. And then we have the third group that is, don't believe, and don't look. And they died. Now, let, let's, let's bring this to present day. Do we have those three groups among us? I believe that every week in sacrament meeting, we have those of us that believe and look. I think sometimes in our meetings we have those who don't believe a number of things, but they look. They're here. Now, by the way, in the looking, sometimes you start finding. So, we always want them here. But they're struggling. And they're not looking at the Savior. Sometimes, why would somebody come to sacrament meeting? Why would somebody come to church? Sacra our sacrament meetings can be a bit dry. Can they not? Yeah. Why would somebody come to our meetings... And not necessarily believe. Because the parents maybe. <laughs> Sometimes, and they're just waiting. Especially those parents who say, while you're under my roof, you will go to church. Which is their way of saying, and when I'm not under your, under your roof, I won't. Why else would somebody come and, and, and look, but not believe? So, part of a social. My friends are there. Why else? And Jesus out, spoke to Peter and said, will you leave like the others? And he says, where would I go? Where else would I go? So maybe that's why. Maybe sometimes, you know, I'm not sure I believe everything here, but it feels more real than anything I I've ever felt. You might have a testimony, but then you may not have a testimony and you're relying on some, the testimony of, yeah. of someone else. And that's kind of the in-between stage. You, Sometimes the process of moving from two to one is a process of showing up and just looking. Yeah. I think that, that's a great point. Okay? Yeah. You know there's a scripture that says that some are gifted to believe some are given to believe to believe that others believe. Isn't that true? Sometimes the spiritual gift of some is, I'm not sure that I believe, but I believe that you believe. 
So until the time comes that I have my own testimony, I will, I will trust you. That, that, that's a really good point. The thing that is fascinating to me about all of this, though, come, comes here in, in 1 Nephi 17. The labor which they had to perform was to look. And because of the simpleness of the way or the easiness of the way, many perished. Is sometimes the gospel too simple? Is the gospel simple? I, I don't... This isn't a lusting, this is just Christian envy that I have. But I have some Christian envy for a lot of our evangelicals. Because in their parlance... What do they believe? Trust Jesus. Well, whenever, whenever anything is coming down the road, what do we do? Trust Jesus. Yeah? You know, how many of our saints would be better off if we just trusted Jesus? Didn't try to make it any more complicated. We just trust Jesus. And great things happen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, they got it. And, and at that level, man, that just, we just complicate stuff. The Savior said that, that my yoke, if you take my yoke, which is like the, my yoke of bondage, you're going to put that on, you're going to carry it. My yoke is easy. Now, when you're in the middle of a heavy calling, or you're trying to raise your, your families, or you're single, uh, or you know, you've got an uh, unbelieving husband, or whatever, it doesn't always feel easy, does it? How can this be an easy thing to just look and live? When we're, it looks like things are very complicated. Things are tough. That's the moment. Yeah. Well, a lot of the actions that we have to do are not difficult. We, to look, we read the scriptures and we pray. And yet, we always are saying, oh, I'm so busy. This is so hard to fit in my day. This is so whatever. But the action is actually not hard. We're making it hard for ourselves because we have other things we'd rather do instead. Yeah. But actually doing it is not that easy. And I've seen my husband's elders come president and he'll ask people to do things and he can't get people to do things and he's like, this is so easy. You just have to do this for like 30 minutes. It's not a big deal. But for some reason it's hard for us. And so maybe it's partly that it's because so easy that we say, well, how's that going to help me? Yeah. I don't need to do that because it's not a big deal. So why would that really help me? It's just manna. It should be more. Do you go to general conference? Yeah. What did you learn? Uh, they said, same old, same old. Said, keep the commandments. Pay your tithing. Do your home teaching. Anything new? No, not really. So you the know? next question is, are you doing it? Well, exactly. <laughs> are you supposed to go uh, share the gospel with your neighbor? Are you doing it? Well... Now, now, ask me to crawl on my knees to Missouri because the second coming is coming next week. Oh, yeah. If you ask me to do something hard, something spectacular, you know, but ask me to do home teaching, oh, man, that is tough. You'll find out when that hard thing comes, they won't do it either. Oh, no, they won't do it either. But that's a nice story that we tell ourselves. Okay. Well... In, in, uh, in, in kind of closing here, I just want to finish with this idea that, again, 
I think the struggle that we're watching with the, I mean, we kind of laugh a little bit at the children of Israel. But their struggle is really, we're Israel. And we're in the wilderness. And this process of trying to somehow pull Israel out of, or pull Egypt out of us is, is much more difficult than we may think. Now, the, it, if we'll just look, we'll live. But the daily living means that sometimes the greatest task we have is just to get up and look. Sometimes the hardest task we have on a cold morning is just to get up and go to church. It's just easy if we just keep our eyes focused on where we need to go. But man, we struggle with that. I'm just wondering if we're getting the point that wasn't the, uh, the fact of obedience and looking to the prophets and that the serpent was a symbol of the Savior. Absolutely. That the yeah, that is. So ultimately, we just have to look. We just have to trust Jesus. If we will just look to his prophets and we'll look to the Savior, no matter what comes, the bread will be there, the water will be there, he will fight our battles. It's when we struggle and we don't look around and we get fo- and we lose our focus that we're in trouble. I pray through this uh, this week that we'll be able to enjoy the Thanksgiving, but also the gratitude that comes with it, and then through that we'll kind of keep our eye on the prize. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name.